Okay, well this morning we're looking again at the Galatian Epistle and Chapter 2, the Galatian Epistle and Chapter 2, and uh, I want to read from uh, verse 11, verse 11, Galatians chapter 2, and reading from verse 11 in the second chapter. Galatians chapter 2 from verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separated himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus and that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his precious word this morning. Now Paul is writing here to the Galatian churches and he's giving evidence here of his calling as an apostle and of the gospel that he preaches and as part of that evidence he relates an event here that took place in Antioch, Syrian Antioch, the biggest of the Gentile churches, the church where Paul and Barnabas were actually stationed and, uh, and he has to rebuke Peter on the occasion that he comes to the Syrian church in Antioch. The problem occurred when Peter comes to Antioch following the Jerusalem Council. Remember the Jerusalem Council was a, a, great, uh, a, a great evidence of Paul's uh, authority and Paul's uh, equality with the other apostles. They accepted him fully and they gave him the right hand of fellowship and it was very clear that he was 
on an equal footing with the other apostles. But there is this further piece of evidence that Paul gives now. He's not only equal with the other apostles as long as he is saying the right things and doing the right things and agreeing with them, but he's also an apostle when it comes to the hard situations where he has to actually say, I don't agree with you. And he has to take other people to task. That's the the real ultimate proof of his apostleship. You see, the Judaizers, the the legalists had come into the churches in Galatia and said, this man isn't an apostle. He's not equal with the others. He didn't walk with Jesus during those three years of ministry. And they were trying to make out that Paul wasn't an apostle like the others and he wasn't preaching the gospel properly. And they were saying you have to keep the Jewish law in order to be saved. And this was the backdrop to this incident that Paul records here. uh, That uh, Peter comes here to Antioch and at first he eats with the Gentiles and he's quite happy to eat with the Gentiles and to have fellowship with the Gentiles until the Judaizers come, these Jewish legalists, they claim to be Christians, they come to Antioch and they say, Paul, you, Peter, rather, you, you, you shouldn't be doing this, you're a Jew. And he withdraws from fellowship or from eating with the Gentiles and he also leads astray the other Jews who are Jewish Christians. He leads them astray. They think, well, here's Peter. If Peter's doing it, we need to do it as well. So he was leading them astray. Now, we've already noted uh, last time, if you were here last time, we've already noted that this conflict has re- records a number of, uh, it's recorded for a number of important reasons. First of all, as I say, it is clear evidence that Paul is an apostle of equal standing and equal authority with all the other apostles and secondly it emphasizes the fact that uh, no man has authority within themselves. Peter was this great name, this great leading figure that uh, in, in the book of Acts from the day of Pentecost but his authority was not in himself. His authority was in the word of God. His authority was what Jesus gave him and when he stepped outside of that authority he didn't have authority. We were saying that, you know, the authority is not in us. Authority is not in me as a preacher this morning. The only authority I have is in the word of God. If I preach what's in here, then you need to take notice. If I don't preach what's in here, you don't need to take any notice of me at all. And I hope you won't. But this was the second important thing. And the third important thing we found out was what we recognised was that the world will notice when we compromise. Here was Peter trying to withdraw, you know, discreetly and uh, draw away and, and, and eat with the Jews. And, uh, but they noticed. And the other Jewish Christians noticed. And they were all drawn away by this behaviour of Peter. So when we behave in a certain way, the world sees it, the world recognises it, and the world will often uh, take account of it and think that is what Christianity is all about. Now, uh, this morning I want us to consider something else. I want us to consider the method in dealing with this conflict that 
Paul uses a method that he uses in dealing with his conflict and, his, and he presents three arguments. We're not going to have time to do, deal with all three arguments this morning. Well, perhaps we'll deal with the first one. Uh, the first argument that he gives is directed at Peter himself. And the second argument is directed at the Jewish Christians who have gone astray with Peter. And the third argument is directed at everybody. So those are the three arguments, but we need to notice how Paul deals with this, his method, if you like, of how he deals with this difficulty. Now, the whole question is, what do we do when Christians get into trouble? Uh, do we do anything at all when Christians uh, get into trouble? Supposing it's going to cause offence. We don't like causing offence, do we? Supposing it's going to cause offence. Supposing if we take someone to task, it's going to make them feel uncomfortable. It's going to make them feel upset. I'm sure that Peter didn't first welcome being stood up in front of the whole congregation, as it were, and being rebuked by Paul for his behaviour. I'm sure he didn't appreciate it very much at that particular time. It was going to cause upset. It was going to make him feel uncomfortable. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth taking someone to task? Does it, does it really matter? We often hear that misquoted phrase, judge not that ye be not judged, the sort of get out of, claw, get out of jail clause for any conflict at all in the church. Oh, well, you know, I don't want to judge anybody else. Let, let, let's just sort of forget about that. Let's not, let's not be unkind. Let's not, let's not cause an offence. Let's not do anything to uh, cause any ripples, as it were. Judge not that ye be not judged. Is it really our business to address such issues? Well, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 5 when there were issues at the Corinthian church in immorality, etc., he says there in verse 12 of the fifth chapter, he says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are we not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So Paul is saying it is our business to judge those inside the church. If people come inside the church, if people make themselves uh, uh, come in and, and, and join a fellowship within inside the church, then we have a responsibility to them. But they also have a, we also have a responsibility to, to deal with issues that may be causing difficulties within the church. Jesus himself said in Matthew 18, verse 15, he says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point it out to them. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you will have won them over, and then that was in a, a conflict between two people. That was an opportunity for a discreet conversation. But Jesus said, if they don't listen to you when you go to them, then you bring other people in, and then it becomes more public. But Jesus said, you deal with it. You don't let it go on. You don't let it fester. You don't let it cause a, a, a greater problem than the original problem. Now, the other thing we need to notice here that Paul's rebuke to Peter was no personal agenda. He didn't have a, a personal agenda here. He wasn't point scoring here. It wasn't about supremacy. He wasn't, 
He wasn't jealous because Peter had come to his church in, in Antioch and people were nice, were glad to see him and were making a, a fuss of Peter. And Paul thought to himself, oh, we can't have this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something to, to bring him down a, a peg or two. That wasn't, that wasn't Paul's attitude at all. Paul's attitude was about reconciling the erring brother. He, he had a, a Jesus attitude, if I can put it, to dealing with the problem. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, If I speak with the, in, in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a, a clanging cymbal. It goes on there to say, if you don't work, don't uh, act out of love, I am nothing. He said, if I do not act out of love, I, I gain nothing. If Peter had acted, if Paul rather had acted in a, in a malicious way, he wouldn't have gained anything in this situation. And, and, and we see after this event later on, we find that Peter has not, he, he's continued to accept Paul and he, he continues to love Paul. That, that the fellowship hasn't been broken by this situation. In fact, if you read there, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, we read uh, about Paul. This is what Peter says about Paul. He says, Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So Peter is saying, look, I endorse Paul. You know, I love Paul. He calls him the beloved brother. He, he loves Paul. He's accepted the, the rebuke from Paul and he defends Paul when other people are saying, oh, well, I don't understand that. It, it sounds very strange what Paul's saying. Peter said it's only people that find that, that find that difficult is the ignorant and the unstable. He defends Paul. So the relationship, even though it went through this difficult time, is restored because of the way that Paul deals with this problem. Now, another issue here is, is about priority. Is, is, is about priority. Was it really necessary to deal with this now? And you know, this is a really important thing because uh, Christians, as Christians we need to identify what is important and what is a priority. What needs urgent attention and what does not. Some things need to be dealt with now. Some things need to be dealt with immediately. Some things you can't allow to fester. And there are other things that you have time to talk about and discuss and maybe never actually come to full agreement. I, I was just joking with Alistair the other day, you know, next Sunday we have Burned with us. And uh, it's great when Burned comes, isn't it? Because we, we hear all about the end times, don't we, when Burned comes. We hear all about the, the second coming and uh, it's really exciting when he gets up here and he talks about those things and he's, he's very knowledgeable about the, same, about the end time. Now, now Burned is clearly, clearly, Premillennial in his views, okay? So that's uh, not a problem with that. But I was joking with Alistair the other day. I said, you know, Bernie he's so passionate about premillennialism. I said, I, I hate, I, I don't know how to tell him I'm amillennial. No, I'm not amillennial. But, uh, you know, uh, but if I was, if I was amillennial, 
Would that mean that me and Bernd couldn't meet together, couldn't be in the same church together, couldn't have fellowship together, couldn't, couldn't evangelize together, couldn't love one another and pray for one another? Does that mean we have to split up because I, if I was amillennial, he's premillennial? Not at all. There are a lot of godly men who are amillennial. But, but it doesn't mean that we have to split up. It's not, a, not an issue. It's not a primary doctrine that we have to absolutely agree upon. There, there are things that we don't have to deal with now. We might want to have conversations about those things. We might want to have Bible studies about those things. We might want to come to understand what other people's views are and why they believe them. But it's not something that matters now. It's not something that matters immediately. You know, I, I, I've been in the ministry for, for so long now. I, I've seen so many situations that, uh, of churches splitting up and of fellowships splitting up and of people leaving churches. And, and they leave on the most ridiculous reasons. They, they leave on the most minor issues of doctrine or, or not even doctrine at all. People who say, oh, I, I, I'm not going to go to that church anymore. And I say, why? Well, well so-and-so's had my job. I used to do that and now somebody else is doing it and I'm not going to that church anymore because that's happened. Or someone's changed the, the fabric of the church a little bit. They've changed things around a bit. I'm not going to go to that church anymore because things are different, because the furniture's changed around a bit and I, and I can't tolerate that. Therefore, I'm going to leave now. I'm going to whatever fellowship we had, all the, the, the good times we have and all the, 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 the joint working that we've done and all the things we agree on and all the major doctrines that we believe to be essential for salvation and for our world, I'm going to throw those out the window because I I don't like what's happening. And it happens time and time and time again. Now you and I here in this church, we need to understand that we are not always going to agree on everything. And we are not always going to have the same opinions on everything. But I want to say that we need to be careful that we don't start splitting up for the wrong reasons. And the only reason why we would be splitting up is if there is a major issue, if there's a major doctrine, and that major doctrine can't be dealt with and can't be handled and can't be managed and we can't come to a clear consensus about it. That's the only reason. So we as Christians, we need to get our priorities right and we need to understand that there is a big world out there that needs Jesus. And we may differ, and I, I may differ from you, you may differ from me, and we need to work together and we need to come to consensus. And I want to respect you and you need to respect me and we need to work together. But they're not, so many of these things are not major doctrines. Now someone might say to me today, well you know this incident that we're record, reading here in the second chapter of uh, Galatians, it, it, it's, does it really matter? Is it, is it really relevant today? You know, 2,000 years, this letter was written in 53, 56 AD. Does it really matter today? Well, I recently uh, received an invitation from, uh, to go to an evangelism summit. And I expect Paul has received the, the same invitation as I have to go to an evangelism summit organised by the Billy Graham organisation, Billy Graham Ministries. And uh, there's, uh, there are several venues for that. But, you know, I, I was shocked and, and saddened when I looked down that list of, of names 
on that list of speakers of that evangelism summit and to realize that the archbishop, the Coptic Orthodox Archbishop has been asked to be one of the speakers at that evangelism summit. Now, if you, you may not know about the Coptic Church, but let me tell you the Coptic Church and what they believe, and I quote, members of the Coptic Christian Church believe both God and man play a part in salvation. God through the sacrificial death of Jesus and humans through works of merit such as fasting, almsgiving and receiving the sacraments. That's exactly what Paul was dealing with here in this Galatian church. He was dealing with those who said Jesus isn't enough. We've got to do this, we've got to do that, we've got to be circumcised, we've got to keep the law. All those things, and this is exactly what the Coptic Church believe, and they're being invited, this speaker is being invited to speak at an evangelism conference. Listen to what we read here, Franklin Graham. And we, you know, Franklin Graham's done so much good in the past, but listen to this. Now it is not the time uh, to let up and take easy in our calling to reach the world with the gospel. People need to hear the life-changing gospel message more than ever and the UK Evangelism Summit will share, shine a light on how to give them the hope that only comes from knowing Jesus. Now what a contradiction in terms. You have a, a Coptic Archbishop who says Jesus isn't enough and you have a summit that says these are times when we need to work together. These are times when we need to know that Jesus is the only answer. Does it really matter? This archbishop, this archbishop is a popular guy, obviously. He's, he's an impressive man, he's an impressive speaker. He wouldn't be invited to the conference if he wasn't. He has impressive credentials, he's an archbishop, isn't that enough? Well, if anybody had impressive credentials, it was Peter. And yet he was rebuked by Paul. Billy Graham Ministries. Billy Graham Ministries have been so wonderful over the years. Billy Graham, as we know, Dr. Billy Graham, and all the wonderful uh, uh, crusades, and we've taken part in those, and we continue to uh, be involved in some of those projects. We think of the, uh, we think of the uh, Christmas uh, project, the, uh, uh, with the, the toys and that, and uh, all these, these are wonderful things. Well, if they're doing all that good, it, it, and if Franklin Graham's preaching to thousands of people, doesn't that mean that we can overlook that, this? Not at all. Peter preached to thousands on the day of Pentecost. He preached to, to thousands more throughout his ministry, but when he was wrong, he needed to be taken to task on it. Can we not discuss it? Can we not take time? Can we not be churches together, as it's called here? Can we not debate? Can we not value other people's views? Can we not take time over this? Paul says no. He says these issues have to be dealt with now. They have to be dealt with straight away. And they have to be dealt with firmly because you can't have those sorts of doctrines being permeated through the Christian church. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 1. We've been through that, but let me remind you. 
Paul says in Galatians 1.8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Now those were those who preach saying Jesus isn't enough. There has to be a legal element to it. There has to be a contribution from you. Paul says, let them be under God's curse. Now in confronting Peter here, confronting Peter, Paul states the problem. He said, when I saw that they were not acting in line, there's a Greek word there, which is interesting, it's orthopedio. Uh, it means to walk straight and to walk upright. He said, when I, when I saw that they were not acting, walking straight and upright with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that is Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew and you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. Now, the truth of the matter is that when Peter had his eyes upon Jesus, he would always be able to walk upright. The classic example, perfect example, is found in Matthew 14, verses 25, where Jesus comes to the boat during the night. The, one of the, the shifts of the night and he, uh, he comes to Peter uh, uh, and the disciples on the water and he's walking on the water and Peter sees him and Peter says, Lord, let me come to you on the water. And uh, Jesus says, come. Now, a lot of people criticise that, that Peter fell afterwards, but I, I think it's, that's totally amazing. <laughs> it is totally amazing that he actually got into the, got out of the boat, the fisherman, and actually trod on the water and began to walk towards Jesus. And he was, he was doing fine, walking on the water towards Jesus until he begins to look around him and he looks at the waves, looks at everything else, and then he begins to fall. And he falls because he's taken his eyes off Jesus. There's a story of a, of a, of a farmer. He was ploughing these wonderfully straight furrows in his field and uh, someone was observing him and uh, the tractor driver must have stopped for a minute and the guy went over to the farmer and said, uh, he said, excuse me, he said, you, you, are, you have such straight furrows in your field. They're absolutely perfect. He said, how, how is it that you get these wonderfully straight furrows in your field? And the farmer said, well, it's quite simple, really. He said, I, I, there's a point at the end of the field. And he said, I keep my eye on the point at the end of the field. And as long as I keep my eye on that point at the end of the field, I just drive towards it and I'm driving straight and there's no distractions and it's a straight line. Now, this was a problem with Peter, wasn't it? He was following a straight line. He was listening to Jesus. He'd been taught by Jesus about how to behave in respect to the Gentiles. But suddenly as he's there at Antioch, these Judaizers come and he begins to look around him. And when he looks around him, he begins to fall. He begins to fail. He begins to backslide because of that. Distracted by the Judaizers, just like you and me sometimes walking this nice straight line following Jesus. And then suddenly there are people to the left of us and to the right of us and they're, they're not following Jesus and we begin to get a bit distracted and they say, well, you know, God doesn't exist or, you know, the evolution theory, etc. you know, and we get a bit distracted and then we begin to wobble a bit. We need to get our eyes back upon Jesus. Now, Paul's charge, time is going, Paul's charge here 
against Peter is a very, very serious charge for any Christian. It's the charge of hypocrisy. The charge of hypocrisy. And uh, Paul says to him, he says, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, now Peter, of course, had walked with Jesus for three years and he was well aware of Jesus' attitude towards hypocrisy. He knew exactly what Jesus thought of the hypocrites. Time and time and time again, Jesus was, uh, was, was confronted by hypocrisy uh, and he, he felt so uh, distressed when he saw people who were supposed to be uh, representing God and they were acting in an, a way of hypocrisy. Matthew 23, verses 2, we read that famous chapter where Jesus takes the hypocrites to task. He says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. You must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move it. Woe to you, teachers of the Lord and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the doors of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Now, Peter knew that. Peter had seen that. Peter had seen this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. He knew how Jesus hated the hypocrites. And yet here, Peter was being accused, rightly so, of being a hypocrite himself. Now, Peter made, Paul rather makes three points, and I want to uh, share with them briefly to you this morning. The first being that Peter was a Jew, says Paul. You are a Jew, you were born a Jew, you lived like a Jew, and you knew, Peter, the Jewish experience. Now, Jesus highlights the life of Jews at the time of his coming. If you look, for example, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 4 and verse 18, we read that famous situation where he took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set it free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That was the situation into which Jesus came. He came for the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel and this was the condition that they were in. This was the condition of the Jews. They were prisoners. They were poor. They were blind. They were oppressed. And indeed that's the same situation for the Gentile world but he was talking particularly at that moment in time to the Jews. Again, Matthew 4.16, we read there, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Those Jews were living in darkness. The Jews were living under the shadow of death. That was the situation before Jesus came. Again, Matthew 23, verse 4, by bind men, Jesus says that bind men with you bind men with heavy burdens, talking to the, of, the, of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees. You bind men with heavy burdens. And again, woe to the scribes and hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom of heaven. 
So again, we find there that there is this burden, that there is the, the, the shutting up, that there are people, these, these Jews, who before Jesus came, they were in this terrible condition. And, and, and Paul is reminding Peter of this. He's reminding Peter of, of where he's come from. He's reminding Peter that he was poor. He's reminding Peter he was a prisoner. He's reminding Peter he was blind and oppressed. He's reminding Peter he was living in darkness and under the shadow of death he was, he, he, he was carrying burdens that were too hard to bear, put on him by the Pharisees. He was, he was shut out of the kingdom of God. But you and I need to remind ourselves of that sometimes. Because sometimes we forget that that's where we came from. That's our history. Before we were born again, before we were saved, all of us were in that condition. And the world outside these doors today is still under that condition. Oppressed, poor, blind, living in darkness, under the shadow of death, burdened, shut out of the kingdom of heaven. That's the world today. And that was Peter's world before he became a Christian. But now Peter lived as a Gentile, says Paul, reminding him, not a, like a Jew, he has been liberated from the bondage. When P Jesus came, Peter began a journey. Journey away from the rituals, journey away from the bondage, journey away from the uncertainties into freedom. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, ultimately he was able to say, having um, being given this vision of the sheep net down with all these animals in and being told very clearly that the Gentiles were as much saved as anybody else. He says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one who shows partiality, that salvation is by grace alone. That's what Peter was saying there. He'd come on that journey. You know, there is nothing more sad than seeing Christians bound up and glorifying in legalism. Christians that have been set free. Christians that don't need to follow the rules in terms of salvation. Christians that don't need to be bound by legalism anymore, and yet they are. Second Peter 2.20, this is Peter. This is Peter in his letter. He speaks about such people, of them the, prophet, the proverb is uh, true, a dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to wallow in the mud. That's what legalism is, it's mud, it's wallowing, it's vomit. Paul said himself, he said, all that I gained I count as loss, I count as garbage for the sake of Winning Christ Jesus, my Lord. Garbage. Now, Paul reminds Peter of the Christian journey and the transformation in lifestyle, how God has led him, directed him, and guided him. Peter needed to remember that journey. He needed to ponder his testimony. He needed to remind himself of all the things that Jesus had taught him. And you and I need to do that from time to time. We need to remind ourselves of the journey that we've come on. We need to remind ourselves of the way that Jesus has taught us and brought us out of darkness into the freedom. We need to ponder our testimonies from time to time, not just leave it in the background and think that you know, it doesn't matter. It does matter. Surely goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life, says David. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Peter needed to remind himself of that. 
And if he reminded himself of that journey, he wouldn't have fallen into that trap of being led astray by the Judaizers. And thirdly, and finally, because time's gone, Paul reminds Peter of the Christian responsibility. Christian responsibility. You see, Peter's actions are compelling. They're forcing Gentiles to live like Jews. His actions suggest that they are not good enough, that Jesus is not sufficient and they need to earn their salvation through the keeping of the law. Now, Peter had said nothing. There was no endorsement verbally of the Judaizers. No denouncement of the doctrines of grace. No request for Jewish Christians to follow him in what he was doing. No condemnation of the Gentiles for the way that they were living, the way they were behaving. But the people were reading him. They were reading him and they were reading his actions and his life. And as we said last time, that his actions were doing the talking. You know, privilege brings responsibility. And if you don't realise this morning, you need to realise that we are privileged being here today. We are privileged being in this church because we're able to actually join and meet together in this way. But we are privileged because of who we are. We are privileged because we are born again. We are privileged because we are bought with a price. And we need to understand that with that privilege comes responsibility. Not to hide the treasure, not to hide the talents, not to bury the treasure in a field as it were. And we are called to guard and we are called to share the precious message of this gospel. Jesus said in Luke's gospel 12:48, he says, To whom much is given, much is required. Do you feel that God has given you much? Or do you think, well, you know, it doesn't, he hasn't really given me very much. Died on the cross for me 2,000 years ago. Came, invited me to be a Christian. I'm born again, all my sins are forgiven. I've got a home in heaven for eternity. God hasn't given me very much. Of course not. That's not the way we should be feeling today. We should be saying, how is it that God should do this for me? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? I've been bought with a price. I have a responsibility. I am a privileged individual. I need to use my talents for his glory. I need to use the treasure that he has opened up to me, the treasure of the gospel, and share it with other people. That's my responsibility. So this is Paul's argument to Peter then. It's a message to the Galatians. It's a message to you and I. A message imploring us to walk straight. To walk upright. To keep our eyes upon Jesus and not to look to the left or to the right. Keep our eyes upon the Saviour, keep our eyes upon the cross. It is a message to remember our past and not forget a life without Christ, the life that we once lived in darkness and in sin and without hope and shut out of the kingdom of heaven. We need to never forget that. It is a message that implores us to remember our journey and the way that God has led us and directed us and brought us to saving knowledge in himself. It is a message that reminds us of our responsibility. Responsibility to a world. A world that may never ever read a Bible. But a world that reads you and I like a book. May God bless his word to our hearts this morning. Amen.